Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. You look, it's, you know, Notre Dame gets that guy. Having Notre Dame right there, and it's not even in your conference, is tough. If you can't control your state in the Big Ten, you're in a lot of trouble. SI's Russ Dillinger. This didn't sound like an old man at all. I'm at war with the squirrels. I mean, Jesus. And SI's Pat Forty. Jimbo has always called the plays. Every single stop he's ever been. Assistant coach, head coach. And now he's going to give it up. And you're going to give it up to Bobby Petrino's who walks in and thinks that he basically invented offensive football? Here's Pat, Russ, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod. We are taping this on Monday morning. And uh, our thoughts are with uh, Mike Leach, at, uh, Mississippi State coach, former Washington State coach, Texas Tech coach, who uh, is, uh, had, a, had a health situation on Sunday. We further updates as this goes and uh we'll see where those lead. But um it's kind of hard to do. Poor timing to say the least without a, a little more clarification of what's headed in. But uh we do appreciate Coach Leach here. And uh, I think all of us have some some pretty good memories of uh of dealing with them through the years and uh as a uh as a as a coach and a, a figure and a, he was in the media for a while he was a uh he's a real character ross as you think about mike leach what what comes to mind i, I feel like i'm often asked about you know interviewing coaches and in like probably both of you are like who's who's the best interview who's the most fun to hang out with you know and, and um i think there are two that always stood out and that's dana holgerson and mike leach and they're they're both uh, from the same tree, cut from the same cloth, so to speak, offensively and in their personalities. They're very different from most coaches, and uh, they've always stuck out that way. And yeah, I just uh, visited Starkville probably six weeks ago and uh, spent some time with Leach, and then and and, and talked to him about you know you know him. He he was perfectly fine with talking about things that were non-football related when we talk about the economy and politics and grizzly bears and whatever other weird thing that he that he often uh discusses so yeah it's just it's it's sad to um you know hear the situation that's uh 
that's going on with him. And, and you know, just some background on what's happened here because it's been kept a little bit under wraps as far as this past season. But, you know, he, he was fighting kind of pneumonia-type conditions for a lot of the season. And it got pretty bad around the Auburn-Georgia weeks in early to mid-November. And his daughter's a doctor, actually, and she came in from Atlanta, spent time staying in Starkville and helping him through that. And most people around him thought that he had gotten kind of through that issue. And then, boom, Sunday morning, the uh, medical emergency took place at his house. Yeah, you know, obviously, yes, as Dan said off the top, all thoughts and prayers with the Leach family and everybody that's known him. He's uh, he he's as unique a character as I've ever come across in coaching, college coaching. I mean, he just approaches everything differently than the stereotypical coach. The way he thinks, the way he talks, the way he coaches. And Ross, you alluded to it. I mean, he was like a random subject generator. You'd talk to him and just, you know, you never knew where the conversation was going to go. I'm not sure he knew where the conversation was going to go, but he was bored with coach speak, so he didn't do it very much. He would just kind of talk about whatever. He welcomed oddball questions that would take him in some weird direction in a press conference. And he was, you know, the guy that would ask him about a theoretical mascot fight, and he's going to go for 10 minutes comparing all mascots to who could beat up which one. Mm -hmm. Ask him wedding advice, he'd give you that. Child-rearing advice, fine, he'd give you that. So just a a true breath of fresh air, and truly somebody that I think you could make a a case was the most influential college football coach of the 21st century in terms of offensive philosophy. Not the most successful – because he's a little bit too out there to have been mainstream successful. But in terms of taking the air raid concepts, making them much more uh, mainstream and, success, and and just getting more coaches to buy into that way and coaching that way, it's astounding the ripple effects from Hal Mummy and Mike Leach at Little Colleges uh, Iowa Wesleyan, Valdosta State, and then going to Kentucky, and then Leach to Oklahoma to Texas Tech, and kaboom, everything changed. Yeah, a couple things for me. It's like when you talk to Mike Leach, you know, through the years, I'd occasionally get him on the phone, and it'd be like, "Look, I, you know, I only need ten minutes with with Coach. Can you hmm. can you give me a call? Sorry, ten minutes. <laughs> you know, I'm done in eight, and and yeah. then it's another hour of like <laughs> yeah. he's asking what you're doing, what's going on with this." How do you take your coffee? Oh, I saw this animal. I'm going to track this animal on my morning walk. I've been like just <laughs> crazy, like just military, all the different things. It just, he's a fascinating guy. He's bored, bored with everything. Yeah. He wasn't just bored yeah. with coaching. He was bored. <laughs> and so it'd just be like, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I, I never understood how he had time to run a program <laughs> because if he's talking to me for an hour. Yeah. He's talking to everybody for an hour. And, uh, you know, he, 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 I agree with you. Uh, it's an interesting declaration. He's the most influential guy, and it, it, he might be. It's a, it's a, I hadn't thought of it that way. But certainly that offense became everything in, in college football and even the NFL. And in him doing it at Texas Tech, I think of that big game they beat Texas, and he had Michael Crabtree, and, you know, he had some yep. guys, but, like, just – 
changed. It was like this craziness is working. I remember him once describing it to me. He's like, if I could, they have uh, rules against this on the offensive line, but I would like to line up all 10 players and then the quarterback take a, a, a direct snap, you know, a, a whatever shotgun they'd call. I don't know what he called it. I would have all 10 of my players equidistance spread out from one side of the field to the other, all 53 yards across. <laughs> That's how I'd like to run my offense. And at the time, I mean, it's crazy now, but at the time I was like, what? Like, right. Like, I'm like, what? Like all you've ever heard of is like two tight end, three tight end, you know, I mean, spread them all out. And he would try, remember they, there's a, whatever the rule is, he would, still do it he would kind of have these like they have to touch hands or something i don't know he would line them up spread them up and it was just so bonkers <laughs> it was just great you're like you can't win that way and then he'd win you know and and yeah, yeah he never you know one of the he was always out there and he i think he was one of these guys we talk a little about Deion sanders could never get a job or, or you know a lot of the sec school i don't know how to manage this guy right and so he's at tech and uh, then he then he gets fired. The whole you know uh, this whole Craig James you know craziness, and mm -hmm. and then he gets to Washington State. He gets a second shot, and he starts winning there. And it was like, what could he do? And he got Mississippi State. Uh, and it's been three years. I'm eight and four this year. He certainly made an impact. But you wonder he was going to get hired at Tennessee instead of Pruitt. Mm. I was wondering how that would have happened. <laughs> and then they fired the AD for the whole. Well, this, mm -hmm. I mean, it was just chaos, right? Uh, they yep. fired him for the for the Chiano, you know, supposed controversy of hiring Chiano. But, um, you know, you you just you always kind of want to see, like, could this really work at the true highest level of, of college football? And I don't know. But, he, man, I mean, 158 and 107, coaching Tech, Wazoo, and MSU. That's, yeah. you know, so very, very interesting uh, thing about him. But... That guy, I had a lot of conversations the year he was out. The couple of years he was out and he had nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. He was running right. a serious radio show out of Key West. Mm -hmm. And then it'd just call and just be like 90 minutes of like, you know, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, he did. There were no, there were no short conversations with Mike Leach. There, <laughs> those did not, those did not exist. I, uh, I have like a quick story. And you're talking about his record, Dan, is, yeah, when you count it up. He's been a head coach for 21 years. 13 of the 21, he his teams have won eight games or more, which would be good uh, on a normal level, which would be great on a normal level. But when you look at where he's been, Lubbock, Texas, Pullman, Washington, and Starkville, Mississippi, it makes that stat 13 seasons of eight wins or more in 21. Yeah, really incredible. But I, uh, my, as as many as you guys know, my my wife is a political reporter in covered the White House for about three years up until uh, last year. She's an editor now. But Leach knew about my wife, Liz, in, in her job, but he had never met her. He just kind of knew of her. But we were driving through Starkville during the holidays two years ago, December 2020, and I remember texting Leach and, hey, my, you know, my wife is finally around if you want to meet her. And he was just ecstatic. Can't, couldn't wait to pick her brain on the White House, on politics, and all that stuff. Uh, and we went out to dinner with him and his wife, and then the dinner turned into drinks, and then drinks turned into a trip to their house, which was under construction. 
at the time. And here we were, we were all drinking. He was leading us through this maze of of his home that's under repair, where who knows what kind of nails we could have stepped on or fallen through holes or uh, it was just typical. Uh, and it was like an eight hour, 10, eight to 10 hour like night with him. Uh, and it just, he never stopped it. The conversation and debate never stopped with, uh, with my wife was with my wife and him about politics and the economy and all that stuff. So, you know, just, uh, thoughts and prayers with, with his family for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things he would do, <laughs> I mean, and this is a leech thing. He walked to and from work mm. at Washington State. Yeah. yeah. Like three and a half miles each way. Um, he did it every day, regardless of the weather. And he would call people on his way home. It's 11 o'clock and the phone's ringing. It's like, oh, shit, Mike Leach is calling you. <laughs> and and you're going to talk to him during that walk because he's got time to kill. And yeah, the conversation is going to be all over. I remember when he was at Kentucky getting him on the phone one time and the first 20 minutes before I could get around to asking him whatever I had called him about was like about poker and blackjack and whether I played and, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, so you just, again, never knew where it was going to go. But as 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 much as as he was so helter skelter, whatever, when he's when his teams played, they were just they 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 were absolutely dogmatic on their style of play. Right. I mean, it was just, it was totally different. It was, it was the inverse of Pat Dye. Pat Dye, we're going to run the ball. We're going to establish the run. Well, Mike Leach, I don't care about running the ball. We're going to throw and throw and throw and throw. 11 straight years, his team has led the nation in pass attempts. And probably you can go back. He became a head coach in 2000. I would bet probably 17 out of the 20 some years or whatever in that stretch, his team led the nation in pass attempts. He was the absolute like anti-dogma guy in terms of what was established, but his way he was completely wedded to. Well, Pat, you mentioned about him walking to work uh, at Mississippi State. He couldn't do that. His his house was probably about ten mile or to ten minute drive outside of of campus. But right when he moved to Starkville for the first year or so, he lived in uh, the left field lofts at Mississippi State's baseball stadium. It's a, a you know the stadium opened just a couple years ago and uh, they've got like condos in left field and he lived in one of the condos in left field. I've been up there in the <laughs> condo in which he lived and so he could he was on campus he was right there he could walk everywhere and they told him you know hey look you do you, you know he wanted to stay there and they're like these are paid for like somebody owns this you have to leave like you have to go buy you know you have to go buy a house and he's like no I want to. I want to stay here. I want to walk to work every day. And eventually, obviously, he moved out. But um, he does. He uh, he he loved living living up there, loved walking to work. And he doesn't drive. You know, he doesn't he, – he never really drives. Somebody, I believe, comes and picks him up from his house normally at, at Mississippi State and drives him into campus. Yeah. It's one of his things about Key West. He loved Key West. Mm. Bikes, like the whole right? Set. Big biker. Walk. Yeah, bike. Whole town. Don't yeah, need it, yeah. right? Like you're one end of the town to the next. Yeah. No, he's one of a kind. He's a lawyer. Yep. Graduated with a law degree. I don't know if he ever passed the bar or not. He just went into coaching from Pepperdine. But I always found that to be like kind of the the telltale, telltale of him. Because you ask most coaches, what would you be doing if you weren't a coach? And they look at you like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, ain't anything. I had nothing, right? They got nothing. 
And Leach, yeah, you could have seen him doing, yeah. He'd be this colorful attorney, personal injury lawyer in, uh, oh, in Southern yeah. California. So I don't yeah. know, right? Probably just just highly entertaining uh, law, law school, law guy. So fascinating, fascinating guy. No question. One of my favorites, too, he was a, a football coach real early on in the American Football Association of Finland. <laughs> like 1980, he was like 25 years old or something. I don't know. Like, can you imagine young Mike Leach in coaching Finnish football? <laughs> no. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was before he went to Iowa Wesley. <laughs> yeah, no idea it was too crazy. He used to have this college football playoff plan that had featured like 72 teams and like double eliminate. He had this crazy <laughs> It's like the craziest plan ever. He's like, what do you? But he was like, "Patching, this is how you got to do it." Like, how do, how does that even work? I don't even understand what you're talking about. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, we hope uh, we hope uh, the story ends ends uh, ends well. But uh, hard hard timing for us. We're gonna figure it out. Other coaching news: Jeff Brom has left Purdue and gone to Louisville since we last talked, uh, spoken. Pat, I know you were down there. Interesting move. It's like the Purdue people weren't even that mad. They just knew. Like, this is where his heart was. He did a great job with the program, elevated the program, and all of those types of things. So uh, what was the mood in Louisville that uh, Jeff Brom's coming back? Ecstatic would be an understatement. Uh, it was. It was honestly like... You know, a, a what a kind of the the kind of scene you would see at like the airport when a family member comes home to a big family from like serving overseas or being gone for a long time, and like everybody's there and they just can't wait to bring you back home. That's what it felt like. And they had a reception, his introduction. It was part pep rally and it was part press conference. And there were hundreds of people. They estimated a thousand. That may be accurate. I don't know. And I could look around the room living in Louisville, and I'm like, it was the entire Catholic mafia. This is a very Catholic town. Jeff Brom, German Catholic, very much of that culture. And I could look around and go, oh, St. Margaret Mary, St. Agnes, St. Pius, Our Lady of Lourdes, Holy Spirit. You could just you see people from all these parishes who all just have so much tied to the local boy, the, the Catholic football product, who was back and going to save or, you know, help rebuild Louisville football, Louisville anything, because Louisville athletics outside of non-revenue sports is awful right now. Basketball team is 0-9, and the football team is okay, but can't beat Kentucky. And so they are thrilled to have traded a Scott Satterfield, who they didn't really like, for a coach they absolutely love, and now all he has to do is back it up and win some games. So it was it was a it was a really fun scene. It was a cool scene, and it was Brom is not an emotional guy. He coaches fiery, but he's not like you know he went he wasn't going to get weepy or anything there. But he made sure like his high school coach, who was not in great health, was there. Uh, he wanted Howard Schnellenberger's wife to be there, but she couldn't be there. He played for Schnellenberger back in the day. So it meant a lot to a lot of people um, in the city. That's for sure. What do you think? Uh, what do you think the potential there is? Uh, again, like is this is this 
you know, I mean, they've had some incredible runs there, but it's always felt, I don't know, it's not, it's not your historic flagship state school, you know, some of just the, the basic advantages. What, what, what can Louisville be uh, yeah. uh, beyond just, you know, look, you got Lamar Jackson, you're going to be tremendous or like what, whatever, what, what is that place really built to be year in, year out now that they got a guy who I would think if he's successful, certainly is, is, is there for, for a long time and doesn't have the, the, you know, Bobby Petrino kind of whatever, whatever Bobby brings to the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he's Let's the first coach. That. Yeah. No, he's the first coach since Howard Schnellenberger, who was a Louisville native, to have people think he wanted to stay there. And even Howard eventually left, uh, but he left for Oklahoma. I don't think anybody can blame him too much for that. But every coach since then has either left in fairly short order for a quote-unquote bigger job or been fired because they weren't good enough. So Louisville was a classic stair-step program. With Brom, the hope is that, yeah, that he's here for 10, 15 years and finishes his career here and they get good again. You're right, Dan. It's, it's, it's fascinating Louisville's history. Like they have, they've won a Fiesta Bowl, they've won an Orange Bowl, they've won a Sugar Bowl, all within the last 32 years, I guess it would be. And none of those were with Lamar Jackson. They had a Heisman Trophy winner. They've had, a, you know, a team that I believe finished in the top five in the rankings. So they, they have had some high points. They haven't had a ton of consistency. It's been up, down, hit it big here, struggle here. So the, you know, I think the challenge has always been, can you recruit well enough, consistently enough to, to win big? And then can you keep your coach when your coach does really well? So those have been the challenges, and again, with Brom, I think they feel like with the, with his offense, you should be able to attract some really good players. He has recruited, he recruited really well in some niche areas in at Purdue. Gosh, he got defensive ends. I mean, George Karloftis, who's a standout rookie in the NFL right now, was there. Wide receivers galore. So they, they can get some players, I think, with him, and they can scheme them up. And then you just got to be able to win the games and – the ACC, look, outside of Clemson, which may be on the way down, as I've said, Florida State may be on the way up. Can you can you hang with those folks? Can you compete for for conference titles? Yeah, maybe, maybe you can. They're going to give it a shot. What do you think, Ross? Yeah, I mean, it, it uh, certainly from a fit perspective, we always talk about coaches and fits and stuff like that, which is probably kind of overrated. But this one, man, this one. Um, Seems perfect, and uh, I think he was in Louisville over the summer. I believe he was speaking at something, and he he basically said, "You know, I'd like to end my career here and come back." You know, as a sitting Purdue coach to say something like that, you knew that eventually this might uh, this might be the case, and maybe it was expedited a little bit because of um, Satterfield's move, which was an interesting one for. Cincinnati because like yeah Pat had said they they weren't you know he was a game or two away maybe of of being in some real trouble of getting fired at Louisville and and yeah it, it's uh and so it's interesting now he he his clock so to speak starts over so it makes sense for him and certainly makes sense fit wise for um for Louisville in and uh and now it's uh I think the last remaining power five coaching search at uh, in uh, West Lafayette. So all eyes for at least for now on that one. Well, I think like, I mean, they were, they were going to have to 
if they were going to fire him, which was a possibility, Satterfield, Scott Satterfield, like they were going to have to, you know, pay him. Pat, you may know the numbers exactly, but it was like $5 million or something, right? Yeah, it was not a small number. And instead, I think they're getting like $3 million. Yeah, get three and no, a half I mean, million, yeah. $3.5 million. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. we kind of were ready to get rid of this guy. He had some recruits. He was all right. We can't really fire him. So, I mean, that's an $8.5 million swing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know this is college football, and the numbers just get, just become just monopoly money. But, like, Louisville's not that rich. It's and, not Texas. It's not yeah. Texas. And you sit there and go, hey. Here we go. I mean, even if it's just we're going to put another million into assistant salaries or whatever we got to do or, or, or the deal. So, yeah, I think it's 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 perfect for Louisville. And I think, as Pat said, there is just a need for they need something. I mean, this basketball team is mm. it's unbelievable. Oof. Oh, and nine. Bad. Oh, and nine and not close. Like they, if they yeah. play a power five team, they're going to get blown out. No, they're close against the crappy teams that they paid yeah. to show up. Right. They lose those games by one. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, there was a game, the game uh, Saturday. I don't want to turn this into too much of a college basketball podcast, but it was like one in, what was it, one in nine Florida State and 0 and 8 Louisville. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you put that thing out on paper, like, hey, that's a pretty good game. Like, no, nah, <laughs> nah. no. Yeah, so <laughs> all sorts of uh, all sorts of issues, and you're trying. So, excellent. All right, so Purdue. What, what, what's possible at Purdue? Like, what's reasonable for Purdue to hope to be? What do you think, Pat? You've been up there a bunch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, boy, they they've got nice infrastructure. I I know everybody kind of does now, but having been around several other places, like their indoor is humongous and new, and it, it's a good facility. Uh, they've got all the other stuff. So they've invested. They've done all those sorts of things. You know, tough recruiting territory. You got Michigan to Notre Dame to the north. You've got Wisconsin over there. You know, you've got you've, you, you're you're in the Big Ten West, but for how long? When they could do away with divisions. So you know, does does the the upward mobility there that allowed Purdue to get to the Big Ten championship game this year still exist going forward? I don't know. The one thing they loved the fact that Brom played an exciting style that filled the seats and so they're going to look offense again you know they they definitely want somebody else who can dial it up and move the ball and score and be exciting and fan friendly because while they have good fans it's still more of a basketball program like the basketball fans they ain't leaving no matter what the football programs can be like yeah we can take it or leave it if we're three and eight three and nine never mind so can they you know can they be in the upper half of the big ten yeah but they could also slip down and be in the bottom four, or so too. You know, it's it's not guaranteed, but you know, you've got at least a chance there. One of the big perks is is being part of the Big Ten. It it you know, uh, it seems like coaches obviously their moves to different jobs are determined uh, a lot on you know money and salary and historical success and stuff like that. But you know, I think that. One of the things that becoming a parent is the move, position moves and, and coaching moves is starting to to be about conference, and uh, it does seem like you know people are jostling to whether it's a school or administrator or coach to get into the Big Ten or SEC, get into the two richest leagues. I say that, and obviously Satterfield or uh, Brom left 
left to go out, although that was in kind of a unique situation. But they do have Big Ten, they, which means they have Big Ten money, uh, which means they should be able to pay more and renovate facilities more and probably have a nicer NIL situation than, than others too. So that's probably a key factor. But I think you nailed that, Pat. I think somewhat younger, offensive-minded, uh, they want to try to keep that, I think, that whole situation there identity as far as their next coach it's it's such a tough job like you are the location they have nice facilities i make fun of the lafayette west lafayette thing but it's a great little college town <laughs> that's what you're looking for it's it's kind of equidistance between indianapolis and chicago uh the the region up in the gary merrillville's got got some players you know you can you can recruit a lot of areas they call like indianapolis like crossroads of america because you can get like by via interstate, like the truck, the, the trucks all go through there because they can get to anything. And and that's, you know, you're not that far from that. So, you, you know, you're kind of located. You're just surrounded. I mean, yeah. when there's a top 100 kid in Indiana, Notre Dame's the favorite for them. And there aren't a ton. There's maybe one a year. But if you look, it's, you know, Notre Dame gets that guy. Having Notre Dame right there, and it's not even in your conference, is tough. If you can't control your state, in the Big Ten, you're in a lot of trouble. It's 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 hard, and especially when you're not in a state with a gazillion guys. And Indiana just doesn't produce uh, enough players, so it's not that that's your struggle. And you, you know, if Illinois gets a little bit, you have to make people believe that Purdue football matters, and this is the place to go because, like you said, everyone's got everyone's got some player, everyone's got facilities, everyone's on TV, everyone's got money, so. But not your your state without a ton of talent, and you've already got Indiana there, and they're closer to Indianapolis, and the whole southern part of the state is a long way from Purdue, and then you got Notre Dame, and if they want to pick off that 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 top hundred kid in the state, they're going to go get them most of the time. Um, yeah. So it's a tricky job on that way, and and so you hate to think there's a cap because you get the right guy in there, and all of a sudden they start winning, and you go, oh yeah, this takes total sense, right? Like. <laughs> Right. They just picked, you know what? They're really recruiting the uh, Chicago suburbs well, and they got this good, you know, this kid was overlooked, and they got this small target, bang, all of a sudden there it is. And all of a sudden they're pretty good, but it's it's just historically uh, they've been trying at Purdue for a long time. I don't think they don't care about football. I think they do. It's no, just, they do. You're just sort of there. I don't know if Indiana always cared about football. No, that's... Like Indiana cared more about basketball, but... Uh, certainly, Matt Painter's done an incredible job with the basketball program, but it's 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 tricky. So it's going to be a very interesting hire on what they what they do, and and yeah, what is that upside? And is this a team that can, you know, they they get rid of the divisions, and even if they don't, they bring in UCLA and USC. Like it's just one of those programs where it's like the bigger the Big Ten gets, I don't know any of it's any better. Yeah, everyone's making more their... money, but I don't know what your path to success is. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I, I need to take a moment to clarify a an egregious error of fact I have made by saying that the river that divides Lafayette and West Lafayette is the C- Tippecanoe River. I was informed by one of our listeners it's the Wabash mm-hmm. River. So yeah, I apologize right deeply for that uh, misidentification Which is, of the river. If a river is so inconsequential, you don't know the name of it, <laughs> then it shouldn't be dividing two towns. It should just be this thing that runs through the middle of our town. I go, I stand, I stand on my opinion that there is no West Lafayette. It's arrogance. They try to dress it up. 
Well, they're trying and they, to dress I, it up. The other problem for Purdue, the Wabash River is in like the Indiana fight song. They mentioned the Wabash River, but it's the river that goes through Purdue's town. So that's there's there's they, no winning this they, for Purdue. Yeah, not not uh, not great there. Searching for NBA playoff coverage, we've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, well, that's going to be an interesting hire to uh, to see what they uh, they go with. All right, one other that's, that's emerged as a possibility, not a head coaching position. But uh, obviously, Texas A&M had a uh, disastrous season by their expectations or by any. Uh, I think they have 12 in the portal right now, maybe more. Never know. I heard it was 20. 20? All right, 20. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I got old info. I read that. I was report. I think it was in an athletic story. You could put any number down, I'd believe it. <laughs> 37. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you said three, I wouldn't believe it. Anyway, whatever they got. But they could possibly bring in, this was least said, I don't know, Pat, what do you know about this? Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator. Because a part of the uh, criticism was Jimbo Fisher play calling and all that. Could we bring in Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator and could it resurrect the song that we love to play when we're discussing about it? We won't do it yet right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. Yes. Could we get him? Could the, the uh, what do you call him? The grifter? Whatever. Drifter? The, the- uh- yeah, the the, the the disingenuous drifter. Dis- disingenuous drifter. Could he go into yeah. College Station and resurrect the Aggies? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. here's my, my suspicion on that, is that this was a trial balloon when, uh, that, that, that Texas A&M put out to see, okay, how bad would the blowback be? Because it was reported one time, Kind of came out, and and I think they, you know, I don't know, the the sourcing of it was interesting, uh, and I feel like it might have been leaked just to see, okay, if we hire Bobby Petrino, mm. how much crap we're yeah. gonna get? Yeah, that's my suspicion. The old trial balloon, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I could be wrong, but but that was my suspicion. That normally there isn't a lot of like we can't have this guy as an assistant. Occasionally, mm. like Art mm. Bryles has gotten too toxic to be even assistant coach but usually it's like you just can't have him as the head coach i don't know what do you think what was the tri- what did the trial b- balloon reveal we're not killing it we're not killing the idea here i think we're just you know <laughs> trying to be nice today but <laughs> we we would take him right just i mean the pod content could go on for days uh months weeks whatever you know, I want to see so, Jimbo and Bobby screaming at each other like that is inevitable, right? Oh, I'm telling you what, because that I mean, that would be a very interesting mix of two very strong willed guys who believe they are both play calling geniuses. And the whole thing <laughs> here is supposed to be that, you know, that that Jimbo has always called the plays every single stop he's ever been assistant coach, head coach. And now he's going to give it up. And you're going to give it up to Bobby Petrino who walks in and thinks that he basically invented offensive mm. football? So, 
And a guy in Petrino who's been a head, right? So used to being a head coach. When's the last time Bob Petrino yeah. was an assistant coach? Because that is an issue, it would be, right? When, yeah, when 2003, you go, I think, would be the last time. 20 years. Uh, so yeah. that that is a big change for somebody. And that is an issue. You you look at uh, co- uh, coaches who have been in the head coaching role for, for years and then switched to an assistant, and there's a – they take some time to get used to, and sometimes they don't get used to that, and it usually will end poorly or ends in some kind of separation. So, and that's one, right? I would think, as you mentioned, those two. It's not like Bobby is a uh, defensive guy, you know, and so those two are going to overlap quite a bit. That that would be quite interesting. Yeah. Well, everything at A and M is going to be fascinating this offseason. The one additional thing about A and M, there was there was a um, good like long athletic story about what the hell happened where this season just went to hell from Sam Kahn and Andy Staples uh, late, late last week, I believe. And a lot of it was interesting, but there was also it, like the beginning, the first, I don't know, third of it felt like this is A&M's parade of excuses. And it was, you know, injuries and, and we're young and da, 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 da. But my favorite ones, the best was where they quoted an anonymous parent of one of the players saying that the young kids, the freshmen, this Ballyhood freshman class was, you know, badly impacted by the pandemic. And I'm not denying that except for the reasons they gave. One's academically, okay, yes, I can absolutely believe that people that went into college this year weren't really ready after spending a year, year and a half, whatever, trying to do class on a Zoom call. But the other thing was, you know, so they had trouble going to meetings and making curfew. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. Because you had to go to school on a Zoom call doesn't mean you can't make a meeting on time or that you can't make bed check. What the hell? Let's, that, the, the excuse making was to the, this extent now. Well, you know, because of the pandemic, they couldn't show up on time. Like, don't give me that crap. Come on. Yeah, Let's call it people. what it was. This was a disaster of a season for A&M in a lot of ways. Yeah, the kids, the kids today are no less disciplined or undisciplined or more, you know, whatever than than before. There were kids that couldn't make it on time in 1982, right? In 1962, and there were kids that were there 20 minutes early. They yeah. got up at 5 a.m. in the morning and did work before. I mean, come on, yeah, that's that one's not that one's not recruit recruit what character, right? We're always trying to recruit character, not yeah. recruiting talent. Yeah, and uh, right. One of the interesting things that will go on with this whole NIL deal, and I know Texas A&M would never spend a dollar on a player. Um, <laughs> no, you both said, but uh, that, the story said too, there were baseless accusations, baseless accusations that any money ever went down. But will be uh, some of these teams that do certainly not A&M, but everybody else other than A&M. <laughs> when you're just assembling a pack of uh, of recruiting rankings, or you're are you putting together a team? And, you know, if, if you're only going to a school because uh, you're getting paid, not because you, you love it or this is what you want or, you you know, you, you, you know, will that will that translate? We don't have a sample size yet. Uh, certainly A&M speaks the other way because all those kids went there because they're undying love of going to A&M and they mm-hmm. actually got zero dollars and would have gotten paid somewhere else. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe if you pay them, they, they work harder. That would maybe. be my suggestion. Because AM, it didn't work. So I don't know. But that will be the sample size. Like, is this a team? Is this just like right. one of these weekend AAU teams? 
Right. Or is this well, like that, a real team? Yeah. You know, we're, we're more we're more accustomed to seeing this dynamic in basketball. But yeah. How many right. times have we seen it, Dan, over, you know, ah, 30 can years? Can you put it together? Like, yeah. Right. Can you yeah. put that? That's the challenge of a coach. Some coaches can, some coach can't. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, like you've, you've seen like Calipari has had teams. That championship team was one of the best teams I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, he got Anthony Davis to just sit there and say, I'm just going to rebound and block shots. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be number one pick anyway. I don't need to score. Like, that's that's an incredible team, right? When right. your number one player doesn't care. Uh, they had Michael Kidd-Gilchrist on that team, right? Yeah. I was just going to play like, defense. Yeah, they, they turned him into a defensive stopper. Yeah, I believe right. he was the number two pick in the number draft. Number two pick, Should, right? There's the shouldn't one have in, been, but... but yeah. Right, but that's like, you literally like, that's great team. And then we've had... Kentucky teams that can't get out of their way. So, yeah. it, you know, it's the same coach, same system, same assistant coaches, same concept. So you just never know. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Speaking of team player, Coach Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, made a recruiting trip to uh, West Bloomfield uh, over the weekend or, or late last week, I think, to, uh, uh, I think it's Samaj Morgan, I think is how you say his name. West Bloomfield produces a lot of players and uh including Donovan Edwards, their star running back right now. And Erica Morgan hosted. She's the mom there, and she's hosted, and she put out on Twitter a picture and a statement, at the Morgan household, you have to pull your weight. Uh, and then said, uh, Jim Harbaugh definitely pulled his, and they shows a picture of Jim Harbaugh doing the dishes <laughs> on the recruiting visit and then posing for a picture with Erica, a very happy Erica that her kitchen was getting cleaned <laughs> by Jim Harbaugh. Insane <laughs> uh, violation. I don't know. That's what I'm wondering. I, isn't it like, don't you have to then go to every other, do labor? Yeah. Like, could we yeah. quantify this as labor? Yeah. You then have, like, it has to be available to all students, right? Then it's not mm-hmm. a violation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, could any Michigan student be like, yo, Coach. I need Harbaugh to come yeah, over to our, my our off-campus apartment here. Yeah. <laughs> I got a vacuum here for you, Jim. So Jim was doing dishes. I, I, he's got a, his sleeves are rolled up. Uh, it looks like he's getting after it in there. He's got a little uh, sponge. Like, he's scrubbing. He's not just putting <laughs> stuff in the dishwasher. <laughs> I will say, as, as you said on the group chat when we were discussing this topic, he's, he's doing approaching the job with an enthusiasm unmatched and man, unknown in mankind. He might. You know, Harbaugh, he might really enjoy dishwashing. He might. It's the kind of thing, you know, and he's the kind of person who, yeah. yeah. Washing dishes isn't bad. So, you know, he's in on it. Yeah, he's got it. It's, looks like they had some nice biscuits behind there. There's all there's right. a bunch of yeah. She's got a bunch of pictures of him doing it underneath. You got to kind of watch. Looks like there might even have been a video of him. Ah, Jim Harbaugh comes to my house and washes the dishes. I'm going to take a video. Oh, yeah. Like, you won't believe this. What was it? Wasn't it a kicker that he spent the night at the dude's house? Oh, yeah. Slepover. Slumber party. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. yeah, Slumber party. Flipped him from uh, Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. Was was that like his first year or second year? uh, He was really into it. He was into all sorts of recruiting gimmicks back then. Oh, yeah. And then they had the, they the, the satellite, satellite camps, camps before the, yeah. the oh, end. Yeah. Remember, that was going to, oh, they had yeah. to ban that. That was one of the oh, yeah. sky is falling. Yep. Uh, yep. Coaches very angry that anything in the, are there any disruption to college football coaching? They <laughs> act like it's national security on the line. 
Yeah, he took players to uh, overseas, didn't he? During the yep. summer. Yeah, yeah. Italy. Yeah. Yep. They yeah. don't like that either. Anyth- <laughs> like, remember, there was like the satellite camp is a problem. We yeah. have to stop Jim yeah. Harbaugh from running youth football camps around the country. Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> Other than that time he went shirtless in Alabama and scared every recruit away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But remember that one? That, that, yeah, that, that was, was, that was mm-hmm. as big a thing. That's why I never believe these guys when they're crying that the world's going to end. Right. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, he they, might unearth they, an unknown player here. Yeah, okay. That's good. All about competitive advantage or disadvantage, man. And if you're at a disadvantage, oh, my God, we've got to stop this. Can't we have any satellite camps? Like, okay, <laughs> a, like a famous football coach has come to your out-of-nowhere town and welcomed anyone who wants to show up and learn some football, and they all had a fun day. <laughs> like, did he get anybody from those? I don't know. I mean, they ended up getting kids out of IMG, but I don't know whether that was related. I mean, yeah, all, they had you know? spring ball at IMG. But, like, those satellite camps are great. Imagine if it, that happened in your town. Well, that'd be very exciting, right? Like, holy cow. Like, I mean, he was going to, like, you know, Prattville, Alabama, and stuff like that, like... Like, all of a sudden, there's Jim Hart, and he's just, whatever, you're some seventh grader, and you're like, hey, man, I got a free day. It was like, you had to pay, like, five bucks or something, and you got, like, Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan staff yeah. teaching you football. Awesome. Man, the satellite camp wave was just so crazy. I guess that was, like, summer of 16, maybe, or mm. 15, and uh, oh. I remember being on the LSU beat and driving up to Shreveport. I think it was Shreveport or Monroe, Louisiana, because LSU and Les Miles did like this satellite camp up there. It was this huge thing, satellite camp. And I went up there. I'm like, this is nothing. There's nothing. What, what, what is the deal here? It's just a bunch of kids running around a field with coaches yelling at them. And and then Les would take kids into a literally like a trailer was out there where he would meet with them, you know, and and maybe offer and all that stuff. Just bizarre. It was so college football. Everybody, yeah, this was this was the existential threat of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something bad was happening. I was at a football camp yesterday up in Michigan, and there was, you know, all these linemen and uh, receivers inside this big bubble up in uh, Wixom and, you know, Sound Mind, Sound Body is a big program they have here. And it's like, uh, you know, there were no coaches there because they probably weren't allowed. But, you know, it's like everyone's happy. Kids are <laughs> playing football. They're throwing, you know, the parents are there. Everyone's it's like, there's no frowns here. Football camp. Can't have football coaches at football camps. <laughs> anyway, they banned them. So, unfortunately, uh, you don't get that because I don't know why. I don't know why we banned it. Yeah. I remember now, the, yeah, like getting these flyers that would be sent to you, you know, like Mary Harden Baylor Division Two in Texas will be hosting a camp, but then there would also be a little like Oklahoma oh, didn't State they? logo Wasn't that on the there. workaround? Yeah. And it was, was like D1s couldn't do it. So, that, yeah, or you had, they, yeah. they would ha- they would have oh it at a D2 God. school, but then there would be like an Oklahoma State logo. It would right. be like the giveaway. Okay. Oh, okay. Oklahoma Special State's going to be there. It's actually <laughs> their camp. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, because no one would go to the Mary. Like, literally, they they, they they just, college administrators, they have to make rules. It's it's just in there. It's just, oh, my God, something doesn't have a rule on it. <laughs> We've got a complaining coach in the office. Do something. Let's get some legislation. Kids are practicing football. <laughs> <laughs> Jim uh, Jim Harbaugh actually did a uh, a combined elite showcase camp with the University of Rhode Island in 2018. Oh, were you there? Wow. 
Uh, I was I was not there, oh. but I think he might have wanted to dip back into Rhode Island because Quiddy Pay uh-huh. uh, was a Rhode Island guy, and he wanted to go back and check in on a uh, good old Kingston. There you see go. If he could bring any any more talent again, like he's recruiting the Rhode Island market. Oh my God, that'll <laughs> yeah. swing the balance of power. <laughs> what the hidden gems over there? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of good good fishermen. I mean, yeah, <laughs> uh, that was basically the whole thing. I mean, you know, you go into Texas, you go into Alabama, you go into Florida, there's a lot of players. But a lot of this was targeting like, oh, there's one guy there that we want. Let's go have a camp. You know, Kid, there's not that many kids that slip through the cracks. <laughs> it's just not. And if it, if like you go, whatever, in Texas, there's 7,000 colleges. If you guys didn't find them, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. All right, one last bit of recruiting. Uh, Dylan Edwards, top 200 running back per 24-7 from Derby, Kansas, originally from Dallas. He has flipped from Notre Dame, where he used to be a Kansas State recruit. Then he was a Notre Dame recruit. Now he's going to play for Coach Prime, the first big recruiting Mm -hmm. flip for Deion Sanders. Uh, Dylan Edwards and his dad knew Coach Prime back in, when uh, Prime was working with youth football in Dallas. So it's uh, not a big reach of a of a flip, but still the first. And he says, this mm-hmm. is going to be real. There's a ton of kids that want to come. It's going to be a wild last two weeks to see how many he flips, what transfers are coming. Has not been an avalanche yet, but we will see. Yeah. That, that, uh, well, just the fact that, I mean, there may have been fa- familial connections there or whatever, but, so what? Colorado doesn't get guys from Notre Dame. It hasn't for 30 years. So that's uh, an intriguing start for sure there. And and as you said, yes, what what can Dion get done running the hurry-up offense here in the next couple of weeks? I, I, I don't know whether it's going to be an avalanche, but you know what? Give him a year, and then we might see some stuff uh, by next December. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is what we yeah, – we talked about him. One of the big things he brings is he will bring – talent from from coaches to to players and uh you know I, I think he knows the the recipe he did it in the swag it's have have better players than the teams you play on a regular basis and he did that there and i'm sure you know he knows he's got to get that done at colorado you know i was out in vegas last week and we talked i mean we have talked a little bit about this but ran into um some administrators in colorado who were uh crowing about their season ticket sales, which I think are almost sold out um, already, and, uh, and their social media, which is up like, you know, 50, 60% in traffic. And so all the, and then and then you have George Klyavkov, who told us in at Las Vegas that part of the reason that his TV deal was delayed or has been delayed, it's because of the impending hire of Deion Sanders and how much more value he's adding to the league. So, wow. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty one coach. One One man. It's that. I can't believe it's that much unless you could legitimately predict like this is going to be Nick Saban and like Colorado is going to be, I mean, it's, I don't believe anything. Or predict that he's going to be there for more than two years, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, right. He could leave next year yeah. or the year after. And then all of a sudden, oh, he, still think, you're, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, but. Prime, yeah, yeah he could he could leave. He obviously head back to the south or head back into Texas or, or wherever. We'll see. They, I, I say this. This guy is a marketing. He had this line, and someone asked him about Colorado, and it's like, you know, this is 
there's very little local talent. It's, you know, up in the mountains. And he said, it's not the location, it's the destination. <laughs> and the way he delivered the line, you're like, you're nodding along, right? You're like, yeah, it makes total <laughs> sense. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That never works. <laughs> but he might make it work. Like, he just has an answer. Bang. He's got a lot of some Don. That's some Don Draper stuff, some political messaging there. Like, we're just going to, we're going to, it's not about the location, but the destination. We got this great football facility come up here. And I don't know. We'll see. All right. A uh, uh, quick people's court. All rise. The Honorable Judge Wenzel, Judge Forty, and Judge Dellinger presiding. This is the People's Court. Uh oh. Okay. Another one of these cases, a lawsuit. A federal judge ruled this week that a potential class action lawsuit can proceed. And the lawsuit says that the makers of a prop popular frozen food appetizer from TGI Fridays has misleading labels. The TGI Friday mozzarella snack sticks. It can be found in the freezer aisle of your local grocery store. Can it? Okay. Actually contains no mozzarella. Oh, man. <laughs> the fine print of the back informs customers that the type of cheese used in the product is uh, mainly cheddar cheese. No oh, mozzarella. Yes. Much cheaper, probably. Right. So you're getting a mozzarella stick with no mozzarella. Mm -hmm. Now, um, before I get angry corporate email from TGI Fridays, they insist they just they just mar they just uh, license their name. And in the restaurants, it is mozzarella. So you go to your mm -hmm. TGI, you're getting a mozzarella stick. But the Inventure, uh, which is owned by Utz Brands, uh, is accused of misleading customers. Amy Joseph of Illinois is our hero here. Uh, she She's, filed this. I can. I mean, now, so you might get paid off of this, but you got to admit you were buying TGI Friday's frozen mozzarella <laughs> sticks and eating like a lot of them. Like that's a thing. Like, oh. I mean, like like thirty cents a guy, right? Package. Well, you got to be like, yeah, I ate like two thousand boxes. <laughs> like, what do you get paid on this thing? Is that worth <laughs> it? I got I got the cholesterol report to prove it. Like, anyway. Uh, Justice Forty, your thoughts on uh, on this this one? Seems yeah, I, I I have little sympathy for the uh, plaintiff here because I, I, I again you're eating voluntarily going and buying something because it says it's an Applebee's mozzarella cheese stick. First of all, I my my rare forays to Applebee's in my life, I've never had the mozzarella sticks, so I can't say whether they are any good or not. But I'm gonna guess, probably not that great. Like you can live without them, and for them to be actually marketed in a uh, restaurant, kind of boggles my mind. But then again, I was like, I was actually at the grocery yesterday, and saw that like Chick Fil A has its own mayonnaise or something. Like you can buy Chick Fil A mayonnaise in the grocery. So I guess restaurants can do this stuff, but but. I don't want an Applebee's mozzarella stick in a restaurant. TGI in a Fridays, frozen aisle. Yeah, not no, Applebee's. Don't oh, drag them in. We're going to get sued I'm, ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. sorry. I can't keep my apostrophe <laughs> S American Bistro straight. All right. Oh, Charlie's 
Applebee's, Bennigan's, TGI Fridays, <laughs> all the apostrophe S places that are all the same. Pretty similar. Pretty similar. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I apologize there. But I side with apostrophe S here because I, I just don't know why anybody would want to buy this stuff. <laughs> That's uh, one of your worst opinions ever. I'm, what? It why? says mozzarella. You want mozzarella. There's no mozzarella in it. You can't False call something a mozzarella stick if there's not mozzarella. That's, I, I have mean, no I sympathy even... for anybody that wants to eat TGI Friday's food, period. None. It's elitist. <laughs> I would not buy these frozen mozzarella sticks. But if you did, if you did, you deserve to know that the actual cheese is what the, they say. You shouldn't have to comb through the whole box. <laughs> Although it does say it on the box. I don't know. Cheddar's Frost better than thought. mozzarella. I'd rather have cheddar. Ch no one's ever heard of a cheddar stick. It's okay. Fried it's still better cheese. <laughs> uh, false advertisement. Fa false yeah. advertisement. Yeah. You know. It says mozzarella. Give me mozzarella. Sticks. Frozen cheese sticks. You can just call them that. There you go. Listen, if you're you're not discerning enough to care that you're eating a frozen a frozen mozzarella stick, I assume you don't have a deep fryer in your house. God God help <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Your own personal deep fryer. That'll be like the next big thing. I'm like. <laughs> HDTV. I want my own deep fryer. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I, I, but you've, you've lost your mind. You've lost your mind. No, um, I have no problems, my opinion. Sorry, right. what's your name from Illinois? You're out. <laughs> all right. And finally, uh, we have a case of a Minnesota man who was arrested after he attempted to shoot a squirrel in his yard, missed, and the bullet then went through his neighbor's window. <laughs> <laughs> Michael James Powers. Uh, this is per the Grand Forks Herald. So he's right up there on the border in North Dakota. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, 76 okay. years old. 76 years old. 76 years old. He's facing two years behind bars for recklessly handling a dangerous weapon and felony discharging a weapon. I mean, he's old, but I mean, seriously, a bullet comes through your window. His defense, his defense is he's trying to shoot a red squirrel that was on his bird feeder. We've all had that frustration Have of we? if you've ever had a bird feeder, the yeah. squirrels eat all the food. That's right. And there's all these tricks, and they have the products to try to uh, the to keep the squirrels from getting it. So this squirrel gets on uh, two things. He said his his defense is that he he is at quote war end quote <laughs> with the squirrel. This didn't sound like an old man at all. No, no I'm at right. war with the squirrels. I mean, Jesus. I'm at a war with the squirrels. The squirrels don't know you're. They're at war with you. They're just trying to. This is very much a one-sided war. Yeah. Uh, he shot at least six times uh, six? at the, at the animals the, as they get it. So he's basically sitting around, uh, gun gun loaded, <laughs> finger on the trigger, waiting for this those you know dastardly squirrel to try to get at his bird feeder, and he takes a shot at him. And he ends up blasting through his neighbor's window. He was arrested. His wife uh, told him, well, I told you. That's not good. I told you so. The old, right the old to wife remain line silent, honey. She's uh, like, get him out of here. I'll take a two-year two yeah. break. Been married to this guy for 53 years. He's lost his marbles. Shooting at squirrels. He only pulled the... Tr he thought he had hit the squirrel. He didn't. He only pulled the trigger two times the day of the incident, he said. Anyway, is war with a squirrel reasonable defense, Ross? Can you can you declare war in your own sovereign land? I mean, this is America, isn't it? 
It is his property. That's right. Keep off squirrels. Keep off. Uh, probably next time he shoots, aims to shoot a squirrel, that uh, he should maybe think that uh, what what could happen if he misses since he's 76 uh, and shooting a tiny little rodent-type creature that he might miss. So it would be good if he could um, maybe uh, think about the uh, after effects of that, you know. But uh, it sounds like old old guy is uh, is a little lost lost his marbles a little bit. Michael James <laughs> Powers, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, Pat, that lock him yeah, up he, or yeah, uh, oh yeah, lock him up, <laughs> lock his ass up. Yeah, no, I got no problem with that. But the the, the old saying, right, in terms of what like Ross was saying, the I have a right to swing my fist, but my right ends when it hits your face. Yeah. <laughs> I have a right to, to have a firearm and I guess to shoot it, but it ends when I put a bullet through your window. Yeah. So, no. Nope. I, I mean, I, my, I have multiple problems with this. I, I do get the frustration of the squirrel and the bird feeder situation. Uh, I don't even have bird feeder because it's too annoying. You set up the bird feeder. You want people to they want to see the birds, and then the damn squirrels eat it all. And then yeah. you just fill. It doesn't work. But yep. if you're going to have the bird feeder and you want to shoot at the birds, at the at the the, the squirrels, move the bird feeder away <laughs> from like near neighbor's house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I guess this guy lives in a city area. I mean, like, if you just set it up so you're blasting into the woods. Still not good because, like, some kid could be walking back there. Right. But, like, don't shoot it at the neighbor's window. Uh, I can. You, you can absolutely see him sitting in his living room or whatever with, the like, the the pistol or whatever this is just sitting on his lap waiting. Here it comes, Marge. I'm going to go take him out. Out he goes. Cocks loaded. Takes his shot. Lock him up. <laughs> All right. Well, good good luck there. Uh, all right. Thursday, going to be back with the first of the bowl preview. Oh, however many bowls they came oh, up boy. with, we're doing them all. Oh, yeah. No bowl will sneak by us. <laughs> going big. <laughs> we're going big. So buckle up. Always one of the best episodes of the year as we try to break down all of these bowl games. No one knows who's playing in the games. Not even the coaches. Not even the players. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Worst I'm, games to possibly bet on are college bowl absolutely. games. Absolutely. And people will do it. They'll, oh, yeah, oh, yeah they'll do it. Oh, yeah, they'll do it. They'll bet it and they'll watch it. It's, yep, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, and, yeah, including including us. Why, why do we have so many people ask, why do we have so many bowls? It's because, guess what? People watch it. Like people watch millions it, yeah. of, A couple millions of people will watch a bowl game. There was Crazy. like, bowl industry's going out of business. Like, not really. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's impossible. So, yeah, we just ran out of teams this year and could only get one. We have two Cheez-It Bowls, but only one Frisco Bowl. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Got other rice that, in there at five and seven, baby. Yeah, five and seven rice. We had to have uh, New Mexico State actually got their waiver, but then they pounded Valpo anyway in that game. Yeah. Uh, not surprising. Yeah. Valpo season ended a month prior. <laughs> I hope they got something out of that. Like they get a new weight room or something. They yeah, they, anyway. I mean, I don't know how big a check New Mexico State could really write, but they had to have written a decent one for them to get on a plane or a bus and come down there. For they basically put the clarion call out to everyone if you got down to Valpo. Right. Like if Valpo's this school, like that was not the first call. Like, hey, I wonder if this small uh, religious school in Northwest Indiana wants to come down. <laughs> like that's not the first. So anyway, Bull Bonanza, part one, coming. 
We will talk to you later.